Life is full of adventure. There are ups and there are downs. You, my God, are painting a picture of your children being found. In all of our journeys, we will find a part, a place in our story. You are revealing your heart. That on top of the mountain or in the valley below, you, my God, are with us wherever we go. All right, welcome. Are you there? Oh, all right, okay. All right, you're there. You're just trying to figure out what these guys are doing, right? They're getting all your, they remembered my table this time. Last time they brought out a music stand and I don't know what to do with a music stand. I have to have a table. Hey, it's great to see you guys. Beautiful day today and it is a special day to, uh, to be a part of the service here. It's, uh, I think this is one of those defining moments. It's gonna be really, really special. Got a lot of, a lot of unique things happening today, and I uh, just want to welcome you to the service. Uh, I know we've got some friends from Orcas Island that are here. Uh, I felt the spiritual temperature just rising because of your presence uh, here, but they're, they're here, and I know Scott appreciates that very much. Um, just first things first, we're going to be looking at the book of Deuteronomy in a few minutes and spending a little bit of time there. So if you want to turn there at 32, Deuteronomy 32, Bibles are going to be offered here in just a minute from uh, some of our ushers. Um, and just a couple of other announcements in addition to what Brittany was sharing with you that I want to make you aware of. First of all, next Saturday, we, we're going to do something different this year. We've, we've, every summer we kind of collect those that like to ride motorcycles. We're going on a little ride after the service. Well, this time we're going on a little longer ride, and it's going to be Saturday. So at 8 o'clock, those of you that might like to participate riding a motorcycle, or you can drive if you just want to come, come along. We're going to go over to Leavenworth and have lunch and then come back. And so if you would like information, we'll meet at 8 o'clock in the morning. Uh, at McDonald's right over here on Evergreen and 526, uh, 8 o'clock, and, and leave at 8.30 promptly. If you have one information, Bruce is back there. Bruce, say hello. Say, all right. And he will have information out in the lobby afterwards about that. Okay. One other quick thing. Uh, a friend of mine, John DeWall, who is the founder and director of Liminal Space, uh, I know that you probably don't know what that refers to, but a liminal is a threshold, and his ministry is helping those that are in transition. And that can be any number of scenarios. It can be career, it can be stage of life, it can be divorce, it can, it can be coming out of college and looking for what, what's next. But uh, he specializes in this, and he uh, contacted me and said that they're gonna be doing uh, a workshop, and he needs six volunteers that are gonna work with potential guides in, in, in this ministry that he's going to work with and some of the other founders. And this will happen on the 16th and 17th of August. So if you are navigating, as I'm going to read this, navigating through a season of change and transition, uh, they could be transitions of all kinds, personal, professional, stage of life, loss. Um, each volunteer is going to be paired up with one of our guides in training, and then the, the principals like John and then uh, the chairman is going to come alongside them but this is offered to you. Normally this costs quite a bit to, to go through these workshops, but they're offering this as, as a, a free to those who might be interested. So he's got space, I think, for six volunteers. 
There's this sheet of information, contact. If, you, if that touches you where you're at, uh, one of the community pastors, either Greg or Rick, are going to have these sheets out in the lobby afterwards, and uh, then you can go on your own and contact John and tell him that you would like to participate, okay? So I wanted to pass that on to you. As uh, Brittany said, this is normally our family month, and we, uh, we do things a little different and design things a little different. Uh, our kids will be in, in our services uh, starting next week. They were supposed to be this week, but we've altered things because today we are installing Scott Harris as your new lead pastor, all right? And excited about that. So that's going to be coming down uh, in, in a few, few minutes, and so uh, look at, looking forward to that. We, um, we are uh, in this series, and it's titled Mountaintops, and talking about arriving to the summit. And my assignment uh, months ago when we were laying this out was Mount Nebo, uh, which is Moses' last chapter, in case you're not familiar with that. And so, uh, appropriately, this, this is kind of going to be a segue into what we're going to be doing in, in a few minutes, but wanted to share uh, just a few thoughts, a couple of thoughts quickly, uh, and then, then we're going to proceed kind of with the ceremony with our elders and, and, and walk through that. But this is quite a, an interesting occasion when Moses goes to the top of, of Mount Nebo. And I wanted to, if you would, to open up your Bibles to 32 of Deuteronomy, all right? And it shares with us some of the details regarding that as Moses comes uh, kind of to his final chapter. And if you, uh, if you have your notes and you don't have your Bible with you, you can read it from there. But let me just read uh, verse 48 and following. He says, that very day the Lord spoke to Moses, go up this mount to this mountain, Abiram, Mount Nebo, which is in the land of Moab, opposite Jericho, and view the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel for a possession, and die on the mountain which you go up and be gathered to your people as Aaron, your brother, died on Mount Hor and was gathered to your people. Um, because you broke the faith with me in the midst of the people of Israel at the waters of Meribah, Kadesh, in the wilderness of Zin. And because you did not treat me as holy in the midst of the people of Israel, for you shall see the land before you, but you shall not go there into the land that I am giving to the people of Israel. Okay? We're going to use that as a launching point. We want to pray and just ask for the Lord's help today. Uh, you know, as we pray, could we remember the folks who have been touched by this terrible tragedy uh, of shooting, two of them, in fact, in Ohio and I think down in El Paso? Um, it, just, it just breaks your heart every time you read about these and hear about these. We need to lift them up. And also, would you pray for my daughter, Abby? I think she might, as I speak, be in the midst of giving birth to our grandbaby number five. So... Um, Anyway, uh, Annette had called yesterday and said that things are starting to, to move forward there, and she, Annette's already back there in Indiana, so uh, if you could keep that in your prayers as well. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word, uh, the truth that it represents. We know that it's powerful. We know it's sharper than a two-edged sword, and there's a message for each one of us uh, as we uh, make ourselves available to hear its word, and uh, that's what we do. We open our hearts to you even today. God, we do want to remember those who have been touched by this tragedy. We pray for your comfort and peace for the families impacted by this. Just pray, Lord, for um, just, just for the deep heart and attitude, even within our country. There's just so much anger. 
And we just pray that your peace uh, would, would prevail uh, for those that are just so agitated and disturbed. And we, we pray, God, that uh, we can even be a catalyst for that kind of love and that kind of peace uh, just in our own sphere of influence. Uh, so we commit this time to you, this day, this special day that it is. Uh, just pray that your spirit will be present. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we're, we're going to just spend a couple of minutes uh, looking at, at two facets of this uh, occasion. Moses, you know, okay? Most of you are aware Moses was the instrument God used to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt, out of the bondage that they had been into for hundreds of years. And, and I, I tell you, it's just almost mind-boggling to think how God could take an instrument like that uh, you know, he was a reluctant servant, wasn't he? And yet he stepped into it, and the Lord um, just backed him up with miracle after miracle until to where they finally were released from there. You would think that the people would have got it, when, especially when you crossed the Red Sea, right? You would think that that would be something that made such a deep impression, and yet the people uh, continued to complain. They, they whined. They were, um, you know, rejecting Moses' leadership uh, throughout the journey. What I just read for you is the last chapter of Moses' life. He says, God says, okay, you're going to go up to this mountain. That's where you're going to die, and then you're going to be taken up to your people. But before you die, you're going to get to see the land uh, that is the promise that I've spoken to you all these decades uh, in the past. Now, I want to show you a picture. This is probably somewhat the scene. This is taken from Mount Nebo. And uh, this is Moses looking probably to the west, uh, toward the Mediterranean from there. Uh, the, the Jordan Valley to the right. Jericho is that little green spot, kind of an oasis there. Uh, it probably wasn't that clear of a day, I would think, because uh, it it's not usually that clear. Mount of Olives, you can see that little green spot there. That's where Jerusalem would be. The Dead Sea down uh, to the left. Uh, now, the children of Israel, when they eventually were led down through there, they didn't have that road, I don't think, at the time. What do you think? Uh, it, was, it was a valley a little bit to the right where they likely would have gone and crossed over into the Jordan. Uh, that, of course, is what Joshua was, uh, was called to do now. And uh, he had been with Moses all throughout that wilderness. In fact, Joshua and Caleb were the only ones of that generation that were allowed to go into the Promised Land because of their faith, Right? Uh, they had been with the spies that went into the land, scoped it out, and all the other guys came back and said, there's no way. So we look like grasshoppers in the sight of these giants that are in the land. He says, there's no way we can do that. But Joshua and Caleb both collectively said, no, God is with us. We can do that. Well, because of the disobedience of the other spies, they were to wander now around, around, around in the wilderness for 40 years until that generation dies off. So now the time is coming uh, for that transition to happen. Moses is told, you know, you, you, can't, uh, you can't go into the land yourself. I'm not going to allow you to do that. And he explains what's behind that uh, call, that judgment. Now, I don't know about you, but whenever I read that, and I've known that, there's a part of me that's a little disturbed about that, that, that out of a moment of weakness that Moses would be disallowed to go into the promised land. It seems a little harsh to me. It seems like the crime and the punishment don't match up. And I just have to tell you, we need to be cautious in those moments because I think all of us have been in times when God has, has done something, maybe a discipline or a judgment comes down, and we think, well, what are you doing? You know, God, are, are, 
Are you not caring? Are you not merciful? Are you not kind? What, what is going on here? And you have to be careful in those seasons if you hang on to that kind of resentment. Sometimes a person can, can resent God for the decisions that he makes. And when I looked at this, I thought, wow, that seems pretty harsh. I mean, look what he put up with, right, all these years? And now you're not going to get to kind of taste the reward of, of going into the promised land? So in order to do that, what you have to do, you, well, all of us have a choice today. You can choose to stand in judgment against God's judgment or discipline and think that you know better, or you can take the time to, to dig down deep and to pray and to talk to him and, and search the scriptures of what God may be wanting to say or to do through that. I don't know about you, but it's in those times of suffering that often he's sending a message that allows us to grow in ways that nothing else really can. And I think that's one of these times. And so, what we want to do today is we want to take a look, a little closer look, at, um, at why he was disallowed to go in there. If you've got the notes in front of you handy, I want to just highlight two lessons, I think, from this, this moment. The first is what I'm going to call the tragedy, okay? And for that, we've got to go back to Numbers chapter 20. Numbers 20. And if you, uh, if you look at that with me uh, this morning, here's, here's what happened. Uh, Moses' sister Miriam has died, and so I'm sure that he's emotional over that. She, she was, they were very close uh, throughout this whole process, and she's gone. And then on top of it, in verse 2, it says there was no water for the congregation. And they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. And the people quarreled with Moses, and they said, Would that we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. Why have you brought this assembly of the Lord into this wilderness that they should die here, both we and our cattle? And why have you made us come out of Egypt to bring us into this evil place? It is no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. And then Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting, and they fell on their face. I think Moses is saying, I've had it with these folks. God, I, I need to talk to you about this. And he goes and he meets with God. And then it says, the Lord spoke to Moses and he said, take the staff, assemble the congregation, you and Aaron, your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation, and to their cattle. And Moses took the staff from before the Lord as he commanded. Now, you know, God gave him some very clear instructions. And, um, and if we go back over to Deuteronomy, which we read just a, a few moments ago, the Lord was very clear of why he disallowed Moses to go into the land. He said it was because you had no faith. You, you, you had no faith. You lost your faith at that moment. And friends, here's the bottom line. This is what you need to tuck away as we're kind of analyzing this, is that if the issue was no faith and the consequence was you don't go into the promised land, is it fair to assume he's saying, this is a lesson I want us to know. You can't go to the promised land if you don't have faith. If you lose your faith, you're not going to make it to the promised land. And so back to this moment, and you're thinking, well, this was just a moment of weakness. This was just a, a time where he kind of operated out of the flesh or whatever. 
Well, we've got to look and see why was Moses faithless at this time? I observed three things, okay? And, and just quickly, the first one of these is his faithlessness was wrapped around the frustration he was feeling toward these people. And you can sense that as this unfolds in verse 10. It says, Moses and Aaron then gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Hear now, you rebels. You rebels. And you can just kind of feel this frustration you know, coming out. And guys, by the way, guys, do you blame Moses at this point? <laughs> if you were in the leadership position like that, wouldn't, wouldn't you get a little bit thin with, with the folks that you were leading, especially when they complained after the miracle after miracle after miracle that they saw? And he, he, he yells at them. He's, he's harsh with them. You rebels. Now, the first thing that God told him to do was to speak to what? The rock. What does Moses do? He speaks to the people. And his frustration is just, is just spilling out. And, um, you know, as I, as I read this, it was interesting because I, I remember when those people acted the same way and God was ready to destroy them. Do you remember? And it was Moses who stood in the gap for the people. And I thought, wow, what a guy. I don't know if I would have done that. And I went back and I looked at that and I thought, okay, so why is he being punished this time when, he, when the roles have kind of been reversed? And all of a sudden it dawned on me, Moses never defended the people. He was just, he was speaking in defense of God's honor back in the other time. God, if you do this to the people, what are the, what are the others going to say? You know, it's your name that mattered. It was, he never said, you know, God, these people are all right. You know, they're not as bad as you think. He never said that. It was just always about God's honor. And so now his frustration for the people starts coming out. And understand, what God is wanting to do here is to establish his grace, his mercy, and, uh, and his, his honor by doing this thing. And Moses is now kind of usurping that intention of God to show his grace. Moses is kind of taking things into his own hand, and his harshness is starting to come out. It's anything but grace. You guys, are you following me? So his frustration was the first thing. The second thing was the pride that he showed. His faithlessness was manifest in the pride. And why, why do we say that? Watch what goes on next. He says, here now, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? Now, who's the we? It's not Moses and God. <laughs> it's Moses and Aaron. Remember, they were the ones together that were called to go stand in front of the Shall we bring water? So what is he doing? He basically is taking the credit for what's about to happen. He knows God's going to do it, but he stands in the way, and now he's going to say, you know, you know, you guys, you guys reject me. You guys complain about my leadership and all this. Shall we bring water out of the rock? And that pride was something that God just could not stand. Friends, pride will always undo even the best of leadership if you allow it to go in check. You look in the history of, of Israel. King Uzziah, look at, you know, he was a man that did the things that were right in the eyes of God, and yet at the end of his story, it was about pride. And he, uh, he ended up in leprosy. King Hezekiah, King Asa, all these, you know, started off on their journey on the right path, but pride was their undoing. And so Moses, even in this moment, 
this pride uh, is, is showing itself. And, uh, you know, God, God says, I just can't stand for that. But finally, his faithlessness was showed in his disobedience. When God told him specifically, speak to the rock, I want this to be something that is an outflow of my words. That was important to God. I don't have the time to go down this trail today, but, but dig a little deeper and think about this in the New Testament. Jesus Christ is the living, living word. And he is the living water. And it's like out of Christ, it's like this gushing water that is to come out, and it's a result of the word. It's not a result of somebody taking a staff in their hand and striking the rock out of anger. That was not the image that God wanted to set in a path that would go down generation after generation after generation. So Moses took things into his own hand, usurped this vision of God that he wanted to plant. And as a result, um, God said, you know what? The consequence is you're not going to be able to take these folks yourself into the promised land. Now it suddenly makes sense to me of why that was important to God. And I just say one other thing. It's interesting in our, in our walk with God. Sometimes judgment happens. God loves you. Hebrews 12 talks about he disciplines his kids, his, th those that he loves. And friends, discipline is never, never fun. It's never easy. It's usually painful. But God has a purpose behind it. And it's always for our good. I've told you the story about back when I was in seminary, and I struggled with an addiction, and I could, I could not get over it personally. I'd been a Christian for seven years at that point. For me, and I'm not making a statement, maybe for others what God may say to you, but for me, I knew that my smoking habit was something God wanted to, to eradicate from, from my life. I had tried to quit. They didn't have Nicorette back then, all right, <laughs> or any other helps or devices, you know, things. And I tried cold turkey, and I would just kept going back. And then, I, then when I uh, went back to seminary, you know, let me just say this. It was not the kind of place that you walked around with a smoke in your mouth, all right? And I knew I'd have to quit, but I found a way to hide it. Even from Annette, we were dating at the time. And I mean, God said, okay, enough's enough. You can't do this yourself. And about three weeks after I got back there, uh, I was playing football with a seminary team, a little flag football, and the ball hit me right on that bone right there and broke it at an angle about like that. I thought it was dislocated, and I thought all it, all it needed was a little yank, you know, so I told my seminary professor, I said, Merle, pull my finger. <laughs> you know the connotation, all right. He said, I'm not going to pull your finger. And uh, I, he, I went to the doctor, he took an x-ray, and they said, you're going to have this thing have to be surgically repaired. Had no insurance, had no way to do this. I mean, I was in a turmoil but everything happened for a purpose, and it was interesting because that's what my livelihood was based on. I played guitar, sang on weekends. That was how I made my living. I could not make my living any longer while that happened. The second thing was, that's where I held my cigarette. <laughs> right by the window to keep anybody else from figuring and have the smoke go out of my car because that's how I hid. I would drive around the neighborhood and I would hold it underneath so nobody could see it, and the smoke would go out the little crack in the window, and he touched me right there. <laughs> you think that was a coincidence? No. This is, he, he, he touches you at the place that's sending a message in, in the consequence of this decision. And so here's the principle. 
Friends, just let us learn from this, that our decisions matter. Every decision that we make can have consequences down the road. And I find it interesting that as, as God even was judgmental, let's say, and might even appear harsh, you know, let's focus on the mercy. In spite of what Moses did and, you know, slammed the rock with his staff, water came out, didn't it? He, get, he still gave them water. He was still graceful and merciful enough to give them the water. And the second thing is he allowed Moses, you know, to, to go ahead and make it to, to um, you know, Mount Nebo and see the promised land. I'm going to let you see it. I'm going to take you that far, but you just you can't go all the way in. That's our merciful God. And so that tragedy le leaves us, a, a, I think, a powerful lesson. But the second thing and obviously for today's purposes, it's very apt, and that is the transfer that took place at Mount Nebo. Now it comes time for him to um, kind of pass the baton, if you will, to Joshua, who has been in preparation. I've got a little baton here, and uh, it says pass the baton. It's got actually 2 Timothy 2.2 written on it, which you know Paul said, the things you have heard from me now pass on to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And we've been using that imagery in this discussion. We've been having about this time of transition. Um, excited about it. Uh, you know, this week Scott assumed the role of lead pastor. I'll be here until November the 3rd, and we'll, we'll continue to teach uh, incrementally. You know, we're gonna just kind of do a gradual handoff, if you will. So, uh, thankfully, uh, God has, uh, has laid this plan out before us. And I, I, I gotta be careful not to take this illustration too far because uh, I'm not planning on going up to a mountain and dying anytime soon. <laughs> All right? That's, if I had my way, you know, it'll be, still be a little while. And, uh, and quite honestly, I'm not assuming that that Scott is going to have the mantle of taking you into the promised land, all right? That would be quite a load to have to carry, right? Uh, actually, I kind of feel like we've been in the promised land for a long time now, but, uh, but you know, God is good, and, and there is something to say about the preparation, about the transfer, about the, the, the faith now that Joshua had. And so now as we read about that in Joshua, listen, listen how this happens, uh, how this unfolds. He says in Joshua chapter 1, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant is dead. God gets right to the point, by the way, doesn't he? Hey, he's gone. He says, now therefore arise, go over to this Jordan, you and all the people into the land that I'm giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that your sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you just as I promised to Moses. The time has come, and, um, and our time has come, and it's just a, a special day that we, we get to pass that, that baton uh, on. And, and I just, my charge to Scott I don't think you can improve on what these words even to Joshua were that day. And I just think it says it all. In verse 8, he says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, then you will have good success, 
Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And that's my charge to you, Scott. And I know that you will because I know you as a man of God and a man of the word. And, uh, and it's going to be exciting to see uh, God's hand uh, continue to work. Amen. I'm going to invite uh, our, us, our elders. Elders, if you would come up and join me. We wanted to just uh, share with you as a congregation a little bit about the journey. Uh, every one of these stories has a journey behind it. And uh, these guys, I, can't, I just can't tell you how much I love them and how faithful they have been uh, for this past year in particular as we've been praying through this, this time. And so I want to give each one of an opportunity to share just a, a few details about, um, about what has unfolded, what, what transpired uh, over these past months. I'm going to go ahead and move this back. Oh, you, you want to keep yeah, it, don't you? Okay. Um, so, you got the microphone. Fernando, let's start with you, and maybe you can share a little bit about the preparation that went into all this, and then we'll, we'll let each of the guys share. Yeah, so it's, it's been over a year now since uh, Pastor Ken let us know that he was going to transition into some new venture where, you know, a lot of the elders, all of us were in prayer of what's going to be next. He was talking about long-lasting consequences. <laughs> that was a decision that weighed heavily on the elders. So with a lot of prayer, you know, we can make up our plans, but it's God's purpose that's going to prevail. Mm-hmm. So with uh, Ken's guidance, he um, assigned us books to read. <laughs> we actually had to do book reports back in school again. I, I got to read Transition Plan. And it's about pastors transitioning, lots of stories of different failures and some successes. As elders, we knew we wanted this to be a successful transition. So we couldn't do it alone. You know, we relied on God heavily with prayer. And we looked at our strengths as elders, and we made the decision that we, we needed some outside resource to help us. We went through and gathered three different uh, resources, NL Moore, CDF Foundation, and then Slingshot. And that's how we came to find the people that uh, God led to us because we knew as elders we weren't making the decision. It was God already deciding, and it was just us uh, listening to God's word. Mm-hmm. Amen. Jeff, I'm going to go with you because you, uh, you, you, you kind of have a feel for the preparation even before Slingshot started to work with our search team, uh, kind of discovering who we were and, and developing kind of a profile along the way. What was that about? Yeah, so uh, one of the things that we, <clears throat> we realized we had to do in, in uh, reaching out was to be able to really kind of look at ourselves as a congregation um, and what we were about. And so as the elders, we got together and we, we pulled out some of our old things related to what the church was about, and we began to build on a new profile for, for North Shore. Um, and in conjunction with that, began to build on a profile related to the type of man we were looking for as a leader. 
And so between those two things, we were able to uh, come up with a list of criteria that are characteristics that we had expectations around. We wanted to show a picture of what North Shore was about so that the right person that came along was aware of what they were coming into. And we also wanted to make sure that the characteristics we were looking for in a leader were those that matched what we wanted. Someone that was a had a shepherd's heart, someone that understood how to be relational, someone that uh, had at least some knowledge of relational discipleship and what that meant to a congregation and how we grow uh, in spiritual maturity. Mm -hmm. Thanks. And John, uh, you, you were a part of the uh, selection team or the search team. You and Roger Gray, Roger kind of chaired that. Roger's not here this weekend, unfortunately. He was now in California this week, but uh, the two of you put a lot of work into that. Tell us about the search process. Well, the elders made a decision to uh, acknowledge what Slingshot had given us several suggestions on how to go forward with our search. Uh, one of the tools was to establish a screening team. The screening team uh, was assembled based on uh, several criteria. We, we picked nine members, uh, two of us were elders, and then uh, I'm gonna make sure I get this right. Two elders, one staff person from North Shore, the church, and one from the academy, and then one from Human Resources, our re resources manager, and then four from the congregation at large. And that represented several ministries and age groups um, men and women, so on and so forth. So of those nine, uh, over a period of the two months that we were together, uh, we, we racked up a, at least 250 man hours of time processing these candidates. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I, don't, I can't thank the, the screening team enough. Mm -hmm. uh, many of you are here in the congregation today, but uh, a, a real spirit of unity was shown amongst those people and a, a great deal of great input. Uh, one of the things we did in order to prepare us for, for going forward with the search, one of the members of the, of the team was, is a professional uh, uh, person who teaches uh, leadership training and uh, professional development. And so she led us through an exercise at the very beginning that helped us establish using a set of adjectives that we, that we came up with during meetings and to help us formulate the questions that we asked. Uh, we came up with a list of about a dozen questions. Uh, each member was, was able to ask a question during interviews. Each interview was about an hour and a half. And then as we went forward, the, um, the results of those interviews were evaluated and ranked. And uh, the the bottom line here is that we interviewed 12 candidates over that period of time and recommended five to the elders for further uh, interview. And then we successfully uh, performed our appointed duties with a feeling of unity, which I, I can't say that enough. Mm -hmm. We went forward in unity. God leading the way, we, we opened all our meetings in a lot of prayer and just bade that exercise in, in prayer. And then, um, it's obvious that what we're celebrating today is that we, we ended up with the candidate of our choice, of God's choice for sure, and uh, that's how we went through that screening Amen. process. Appreciate that. Jeff, maybe you could uh, reflect a little bit just even on the elders part in the selection because it would go then to the elders for, uh, for the final decision. Yeah, so 
you know, you can't go through kind of all this preparation without kind of getting an idea of the plans that you have and, and the path that it'll take and the, the image of this is how it's all going to play out. Um, the, the challenge is in believing that, you know, well, that's how it's going to go, right? Because that's the way I think it's going to go because that would make sense if God thought like I did, like it's going to go that way, you know? <laughs> no, you, you, you try and rewrite Jeremiah 29, 11, you know, where God's talking. He says, you know, I know the plans you have for me. Just let me know what they are and I'll work it out for you. Uh, so, it, you know, for us, it was a real exercise in, you know, just sitting back. Um, I know that it's a particular challenge for me. You know, if you've been in one of my small groups, I've made this confession before, is that I'm, I'm an attorney with an engineering background. So I make plans. That's what I do. Um, and so my, my tendency is to say, all right, God, let me know the plan. All right, well, while you're working on that, I'm going to get going, you know. So, you, you know, you have to pull back and, you know, and I could hear God saying through everybody, through the process, through the screening team, uh, which was a real blessing to us, through just all of the elders and the perspectives w that we brought was just to, you know, sit back and, you know, I could hear God saying, be still and know that I'm God, mm -hmm. right? And I will reveal it to you. Um, and he did, you know, we, we would go through and we'd look at all these candidates, and say, oh, maybe that's the guy. Um, but now there's one little piece missing. And, and as we went through each one of these and each person, now oh, there's something missing, there's something missing. God says, you know, but you have it right here, right? You, you have it in the person who's sitting there. Um, you know, and we knew Scott's heart, and, and we were excited about that, and we knew he's a valuable part of that. But what we heard God saying is, this is where we're going, right? And Scott's the guy who's going to lead us there out into the community. That's something that, you know, we've been looking at for years. You know, Ken has done a fantastic job setting the foundation and kind of turning the ship these last seven years into discipleship, right? And so we're, we're prepared, and we know but now's the time to go out and reach out into the community in ways that perhaps we haven't done before. And Scott has that heart. Scott has that ability to say, you know, I can see, you know, what God sees in you. It's something even beyond what you can perhaps see in yourself. You know, Scott is not going to go out and say, hey, I'm going to go and do a bunch of neat things and then come back and tell you all about them, right? He's going to stand up here and he's going to say, you guys are going to go out and do a bunch of great things. I'm going to show you where we can go and what God is telling us. And, and that's what Scott brings. And so we're just super excited about uh, Scott being in this position and where we're going from here. Mm -hmm. All right. Yeah. Don's going to kind of guide us through our installation process. So, um, Yeah, just a, a couple of quick comments. Um, I really want to thank Ken um, for the process. Uh, you know, he's a verbal processor. So he's kind of been talking about a different moving or retirement or doing something different for a while. So we're like, okay, what does that mean? Does that mean we better get going on this? So, um, but he was really good about communicating when that should happen. And he really has been a counselor and a guider uh, on this process. I mean, it's not something that we do very often. And you heard about the book reports and yeah, we had to write it and report to each other. Um, spelling counted. Um, <coughs> But, uh, you know, and Ken has his direct opinions, and he has a lot of experience, and he's well-connected um, in the community and outside our, our walls here in Washington. And so he had a lot of good opinions and a lot of good things. But in the end, he said, you know, I'm going to follow. I know God's using you guys. I'm going to follow the process. And uh, he was very, very well, very fantastic. So thank you for right. that, Ken. Thank you. All right. Thank you. All right. So... Uh, We'll, we'll start our installation process. And I wanted to um, thank you all for uh, fixing my name badge and uh, fixing my tie and everything, Carrie. They, <laughs> were, they were here getting me ready, so thank you for that. Um, special thanks to all, all the family and friends that have, have shown up here from the island. 
I know the ferry can be um, taxing at times, so thank you for being here. You know, I'm humbled um, to be here um, on behalf of the elders um, and for all of you, and what a wonderful family we have here. Um, I hope you feel as I do. I feel called to be here, and um, it's just, of course, I'm wondering where that all leads to. It led to this, I suppose, but it's been a wonderful story for my wife and I and family, and uh, to be a part of this is just amazing. So I'd like to start off with um, just reading some scripture. Um, Romans 12:1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And if there is anyone that um, demonstrates that opening themselves sacrificially is Scott and Sandy. And I know he bought a boat, wasn't a nice one. And I know he bought a motorcycle, which was nice, so now that I have family and friends here, it's your job to make sure he uses it once in a while. And um, so they, they, um, they live that life of self-sacrifice. Um, you know, I've known Scott and Sandy for a long time, it's like six years, and it's nothing compared to some others here in this room. So I'd like to introduce uh, Pastor Miles Era to speak about uh, a long-term relationship with Scott and Sandy. Yep. Good morning, everybody. Lovely to see all your happy, smiling faces. My name is Grant, and I'm a pastor currently serving in Southern California. My accent is Southern Californian, right? <laughs> uh, I'm working on it, but uh, it's, I'm from Scotland originally, uh, and I just have to say it's an utter privilege and pleasure to be here. I wasn't expecting to be able to be here, because usually I preach every Sunday, but a really sweet person on our staff offered to preach so I could be here this morning, which is really a God thing, so I'm very grateful uh, to Ken and to the elders, the staff, and all you folks here for having the privilege to be here with you all, and the folks in Marcus Island, wow. What a journey. Yeah. <clears throat> and usually, as I said, I do preach on Sunday morning, so I have a lot to say. So I'm usually 45 minutes to an hour or so. Just keep, hope you pack to lunch. <laughs> um, so Scott, what to say about my friend Scott? We met in 2001, um, and uh, we were strangers, but who through a mutual acquaintance ended up meeting, and very quickly formed a very, very deep friendship, which has lasted uh, for now 18 years. Um, and we faced lots of challenges together. Life is complicated, as you all know. Uh, you never know what's around the corner, just when you think things are gonna get calm for a while. All kinds of stuff comes up, and I tell you, a friend for the journey uh, in, in challenge is the most precious thing you can have, especially a friend who is convinced that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, mm -hmm. and, and reminds you of that when you start to flag, you start to lose a bit of faith, you start to doubt, and they, they pick you up and you say, it is okay, God is good and he is with you. Scott's been that kind of friend to me for many years. Yeah. And you guys are gonna have challenges ahead too. Uh, churches are challenging places, mainly because they're full of people, and people are challenging. Uh, Scott's gonna challenge you at times, you're gonna challenge him, and this culture's gonna challenge you, and we are a nation right now. Uh, this nation of, of, I'm a grateful adoptee of this nation, green card carrying uh, <coughs> alien resident. Um, it's, it's a mess right now. It's very divided across all kinds of divisions. There's a lot of anger in this country. The world seems an increasingly conflicted and dangerous place to be. 
And so many, if you look around in the streets around you, the neighborhoods, there are a lot of lonely people uh, who are so disconnected from community. There's a lot of loneliness, depression, even suicide. It's dark times. But as we know, in the darkest of times, the church can shine so brightly. And it's always an opportunity for us to truly be the people of God in times like these. So what is needed from you, from us, from the followers who claim to, people who claim to follow Jesus? Well, not only are we, we cause difficulty because we're human beings, but also we're clearly called to be a solution to the deep pain and brokenness mm -hmm. of our nation and our communities. Mm -hmm. We're called to be a certain kind of people, a kind of people who doggedly follow Jesus Christ no matter what. Even if some of us are told to wait at the mountain and others will pass to the promised land, even when God disciplines us to shape us and mold us, we're called to say that He is good and that we can trust Him. And to be able to maintain the unity of the Spirit amidst the diversity, that increasingly is happening, not just in our nation, but in our churches. God is calling all sorts of people to faith in Christ. And we are called to find that as a strength, that we're from different cultures and different backgrounds, different experiences, different giftedness. And we're called to maintain that unity. Um, in our culture, you know, we talk about, people in the history of church talked about apologetics. It's basically the defense of the faith, saying the Christian faith is reasonable and Jesus is trustworthy. This makes sense. And more and more, it seems these days, uh, the best apologetic, the best defense of the faith is people being fully formed in Christ, in community, living that life out in front of other people with love and compassion and service. It speaks volumes in a culture that is increasingly broken and disconnected when people can see uh, the people of God living lives of love and mutual service and respect. So what kind of person do we need in a leader to lead people into that kind of living? Well, I would say it's someone who not only speaks about but lives according to this saying, that all I have is Jesus, and He is all I need. That all I have is Jesus, and He is all I need. And Scott Harris, for the whole time I've known him, is just such a person. Mm -hmm. He actually has said that many times to me to remind me, in my weaknesses, that you have Jesus, Grant, and He is all you need. We need ordinary people whose extraordinary abilities and character derived from the presence of Jesus in their lives. Remember the leaders, if you know the story, when they brought the disciples before them in judgment, uh, the followers of Jesus, after his resurrection, his ascension. And they said they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Mm -hmm. Even though they were simple fishermen, people of no special repute in the world, they'd been with Jesus, and it showed. And these kind of people have a humility about them, and Scott is one of the most humble guys I've ever met. He has a certificate on his office wall showing that he's humble, too. <laughs> a person of love, a person of joy. We stayed up a little late last night. Laughing, Every night. Laughing at some of the crazy stuff. Sometimes to survive this life, you've got to laugh. And Scott has such a great sense of humor. And he's able to laugh at himself as well. It's important. A sense of vision. Scott is a dreamer with God about what is possible. He has glimpsed Christ in such a way that he has an expectation that incredible things can and will happen through God's people. Um, 
And the ability to see the image of God in all people. Jesus truly saw people. And I've seen Scott engage with many people who others might discount and reject and, and accept them as someone worthy of respect and love and encouragement. For the past 18 years, Pastor Scott Harris has been this kind of example to me of what it looks like to follow Jesus fiercely, devotedly. I still consider him to be my pastor. He has spoken life into many areas of my life and still continues to do so. There's a couple of people, another one sitting right down there, that I call up when I'm struggling and I know that they will give me a word, even a difficult word, sometimes. From the first time Scott and Sandy invited my wife and I to stay at their home on Orcas Island, um, we, were, we love Jesus, but we've no idea what we're doing. Punk rockers just off the road. Um, <laughs> and they invited us into their home, gave us their bedroom, and had no idea who we were. Scott and I went on a walk, and that started this incredible journey. And Sandy, just such hospitality. This is a team you are getting here. They always say you're just hiring a pastor, but the person who is betrothed to this pastor is a godsend uh, to so many people and will be continuing to be for you guys. So tomorrow I'm going to head back to my own place. Um, thanks for the palm trees on the uh, picture earlier on when they made me feel at home. You have to turn the heating up here about 50 more degrees to really feel like it. <laughs> and I'm going to go back and I'm going to take my encounter again with Scott and with Ken and his message today and I, I'm going to remind myself that all I need is Jesus to pray and to serve and to preach and to worship. And I know that you guys are in for an adventure. Um, so as a pastor, I just want to recommend that you do three things. And it's alliteration, all starting with letter P, because that's what we like to do as pastors. The first one is, of course, to pray. Pray for Scott. Pray for your church. Pray for your community, for the leaders here. Participate. Show up, especially when you don't feel like it. Amazing things happen when people get in a room together uh, and encounter Jesus together. Third one is pursue Pursue Jesus, pursue Christ. Let him evaluate your allegiances and your priorities and consider every trial a gift from God to mature you and grow you as all of us, wherever we are in the world, grow up into the image and the, of the person who is the head of the church, Jesus Christ. May his name be praised. For we are in him and he is sufficient. Amen. Thank you, guys. Amen. Ooh. Good word. So at this time, I'd like to start the dedication. I'd like to um, ask Scott and Sandy to come up forward. So reading from Jeremiah 3.15. And I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. I can't think of two more gifted people and taking what God has gifted them and expressing it through love and through understanding, producing righteousness and character in all of us. My second reading, Ephesians 4.11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers 
to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity, the faith, and the knowledge of the Son of God. Those around you, including me and my family, continue to grow in the character of Christ thanks to your investment in me and all of us at North Shore. I would like to ask Scott and Sandy a couple questions. And if it pleases you, Scott, you can say, I will. Will you commit to honor the scripture by recognizing it as God, God's inherent, all sufficient, living, and authoritative word? That's what you say. Absolutely. Saying. All right. Will you commit to faithfully attend the preaching of the word of God in corporate worship and receive the word, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God? I will. Will you commit to give sacrificially your time, resources, and energies to the work of the church, employing your spiritual gifts for the edification of the church, making disciples that make disciples, and the exaltation of Jesus Christ? I will. Elders, it's your turn. Don't forget the I will part. It's long, it's long. Will you commit to stand alongside Pastor Ken or Pastor Scott? They already did that. (laughs) See, out of of 15 years, I've been saying his name. All right, I'm gonna start again now that I've embarrassed myself. (laughs) Will you commit to stand alongside Pastor Scott Harris in the valleys and the shadows during spiritual battles? Will you provide spiritual guidance when needed? Will you support his wife and his family as your own? Will you support his vision that God has placed on his heart? Do you further promise to be zealous and faithful in promoting the teaching truths of the gospel and the purity and peace of God's church? We will. We will. Thank you. Okay, you guys get an opportunity. So I ask you to stand, please. Congregation, I have a couple questions for you. And if it pleases you, you will say we will. So congregation, will you commit to the love your pastor, Scott Harris, praying for him rather than complaining about him, (laughs) honoring him as one who labors in the word and doctrine for the good of your soul? Nice. Congregation, I have one more question for you. Will you honor Pastor Scott and follow him as he follows Christ, honoring him as Christ's under-shepherd, ordained by God to keep watch over your souls? And will you let him do this with joy and not with groaning labor? Nice. Pastor Ken, you have heard the commitment from Scott and Sandy, the elders in the congregation. Will you pass the baton to Pastor Scott Harris as Moses did to Joshua. Awesome. All right. 
Okay, mm-hmm. I'd like to pray over them. And as, as a ceremonial uh, process, we as elders here at North Shore, um, the symbol, the oil. As the oil was pressed, it was uh, used for ceremony and it was representing of, of purity and of separation of holy and of first fruits. Mm-hmm. Bow with me, please. Mm-hmm. God of wonder, power and mystery. God, you deserve all praise. Fill this time and place with your presence. Set our hearts ablaze with us that we might know we are on holy ground during this sacred moment. We have gathered here to install Scott Harris as our new pastor, for this is your church, called into existence by your word. We praise you and thank you that you have chosen Scott Harris to be a shepherd of the flock of North Shore Christian Church. Mm-hmm. May we be faithful in our prayers for Scott, continually seeking grace for him to discharge his duties to your glory and for your good. Mm-hmm. May we be faithful in seeking to receive the word of truth, preached with meekness and love, and submit to Scott in all matters of discipline. Mm-hmm. May we always be encouraging and supportive of Scott, May we be generous to him so that he may be free of worldly cares in order that we may equip the saints for the work of ministry, building the body of Christ in unity of faith and the knowledge of you Mm -hmm. to full Christian maturity. Father, may we be ever mindful of our status as your people, bought by the blood of your son and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Mm And may this congregation led by Scott Harris be always faithful and obedient to you Mm -hmm. and your church by through your grace and for your glory in your precious name we pray, amen. 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 There you go, bud.